Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson. Uh, I'm sorry, J. Christopher Denson. That's, that's how I use my initial. <laughs> and uh, a dollar for anybody who can guess what the J stands for. Um, except for you, because you have a lot of dollars. <laughs> um, my guest today, Simon T. Bailey. Say hello. Hello. Good to be with you. Why is the, why is the T not silent? <laughs> Because it stands for terrific. Uh, oh, nice, nice. On the fly, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. Uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things uh, ideas, innovation, marketing, creativity, uh, and inspiration. So, um, Simon T. Bailey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us like the I don't know ninety second version. How about that? So, uh, thirty years ago, mom and dad dropped me off at Morehouse College. At the end of my freshman year, they called and said, "We don't have the money to send you back to Morehouse." nor do we have money to bring you back home to Buffalo, but we do love you. So I uh, dropped out of Morehouse, moved into a drug-infested community, was not on drugs, all that I could afford at the time. Got a job making $5.10 an hour, straight up hustle. I eventually did go back to school, got my undergrad, got my master's degree. I was just on a 10-year plan. Fast forwarding, went to work for Disney, got a call one day while I was sitting at my desk from a journalist. He said, where do you see yourself 10 to 15 years from now? And I said, I see myself as a president and CEO of the Walt Disney World Resort and eventually chairman and CEO of the Walt Disney Company. And he puts us in print. So the article comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have any PR training at the time, did you? No. <laughs> I, was, I was a newbie. I was a young pup. <laughs> so the article comes out. My boss like, what the heck were you thinking when you did this interview? I said, Larry, I work at this company whose motto is, if your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme for when you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. But obviously it does here. <laughs> so... HR showed up a couple hours later, asked me to sign a piece of paper that went into my personnel file. And let's just say Disney didn't fire me that day. But about a year later, I heard the footsteps coming and they were not singing. It's a small world after oh all. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and this is this. And because you had a you had a long you were director of sales was, at yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Institute. Yeah. Uh, and then you, but you didn't want to be director. You wanted to be CEO. Uh, what, <laughs> what at what point along the timeline was this sort of slap on the wrist? Uh, it happened. Uh, this is probably my sixth year of being at Disney, and uh, it was year six. It took me two years to get hired, 10 interviews, <laughs> and a 10-page psychological analysis of what? Gallup. Yeah, and they finally hired me in uh, in 96, and uh, so for me to go out with career suicide. <laughs> True. <laughs> which, yeah. which is a good transition because you, uh, you posted something on LinkedIn recently yes. about the decision to leave Disney. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that, because that whole, like, leaving an old life behind and, and especially something that's, like, comfortable, totally, right? totally. Uh, aside from your file. It took me 15 <laughs> years to write it, because what I recognize is I was showing up, going to work, working hard enough to do just to, enough to keep from getting fired. And I was there present, but I wasn't there in body and emotion. So outwardly, I was successful. I had a paycheck. I had benefits. But inwardly, I was empty. There was a hole in my soul. And I was like, I got to bust a move. You know? <laughs> Don't just stand there. <laughs> so when this call came, you know, I was like, hey, let me go out in blazing glory. So, uh, nah. No, it was probably the best decision I ever made. Um, what Did you have a game plan? Because, you know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs or people who end up going out on their own, you know, they go towards something. Yeah. And that leap of faith is actually in a direction. Did you have something in mind or were you like, let I me uh, at least free my, okay. Well, no, we'll, we'll. I had an exit strategy. It actually started when Disney sent me to Paris. 
to design a leadership program for a thousand leaders out of Barclays Bank out of London. And I'm there in Paris and I say, remember who you are. You are more than what you have become. Literally like had this moment. Is that your inner voice? Is it? <laughs> that was my inner voice. Remember who you are. <laughs> <laughs> King Mufasa says to somebody, you have lost your way. Exactly. So literally I'm there on the stage and these people come up to me and they're like, God, we had goosebumps the entire time you're talking. Like, what's your deal? And what I recognize, I had tapped into something at 34 years of age that I had first discovered at 15. I had walked away from it. And there at Paris, I found my voice. So I went back to my hotel room that night in Paris. I said, what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? What would I do if no one paid me to do it? What makes me come alive? And that became the beginning of my exit strategy from Disney. I said, okay, when the time shows up, I'm gonna go out, speak, write, train, consult, and coach, and I'll do it because I love it. Right. Um, there are a lot of people who say they do what you do, right? There's a lot of, I'm a, like, I'm a coach, like, you know, pick any Twitter handle, right? <laughs> right? It's like life coach, um, or, you know, all these different things. Uh, how do you know you have the je ne sais quoi, you know, that differentiates you? Uh, see, I went back to Paris. I see, I see. Um, how do you, how do you wee know wee. you, <laughs> how'd you know you have, wee wee is a whole other thing. <laughs> Um, no, how did you know you had that thing, you know, that would actually make you rise above, uh, you know, above the fray? Yeah, I think it's three things. Number one, there are a number of people who get out and do this work. And at best, they're an annoying echo instead of an original voice. An original voice has original thoughts, original words, and their information is a inch wide, but a mile deep. And sometimes you can hear people and you listen to them like, uh, I don't know if you've done the work. The second thing is... When you come from a place of substance, you don't mind putting yourself out there, but you also want to build people up, not just tear people down. Third thing is there's a lot of people who call themselves a life coach, but they haven't done life. And, and what I mean by that, until you have been to hell and back and have gotten the story and you've embraced your story and have done your work. So, for instance, I've been sitting on the sofa the last 15 months with a therapist just working on some stuff in my own life that I needed to work through. And now that I'm on the other side, she just told me last week, she said, guess what, you're good. She says, you can see me on an as needed basis. I was like, great, I did the work. Right. I wonder how many life coaches do it for a check instead of saying they've done the work and now I have something to share. Yeah. You can never take a person to a place you haven't been yourself. No, it's true. I, you know, I, was, I mean, I think that happens a lot in the, you know, the more traditional entrepreneurial world, too. It's like, hey, I have an idea for a company or an invent or something, but they haven't seen enough life to know what to identify a real need. Right. Uh, or to at least identify their own voice mm -hmm. as it translates to that need, um, you know, and, and to kind of put this in perspective, especially from an innovation crush standpoint. You know, I know you've talked to a lot of different companies. You know, this is not that one on one sort of, hey, I'm, I feel great after I read this book or had this conversation or watched, the, <laughs> you watched that video. It's <laughs> like you stand in front of Microsoft and, you know, these mega large corporations. Um, tell us about that, even from a, just a perception standpoint, like what happens when you go to a group inside of a corporation versus, you know, the individual work? You know, what's so cool about what I do is I am a student. I get to learn what makes these companies tick. So even though they bring me in to speak as a thought leader, I've already done the research. I've probably invested 10 hours before I show up by interviewing key stakeholders that might be in the room. And I take the framework of what I say and I build a bridge from where they are to where they want me to take them. And that's what's fun for me because it totally stretches me. It's never the same. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, when they make that call to you, uh, what are they looking for? Yeah, so three things. Number one, how do we get our people better? Number two, how do we connect with our customers so that we have customers truly for life? And then number three, how do we stay in the present moment to make sure that the two we're connecting, taking care of our team, taking care of our customers. So when I understand that, I take everything that I've learned over the last 30 years and working for six different companies, 10 different jobs. I've spoken to 1,500 organizations in 45 countries. So I'm pulling from a lot of different schools of thought to create what I would call an original experience in that moment, tailored just for them and helping really realizing that there are four types of learners in any audience. The first learner is, why should I be listening to you? Right? That's the first right. learner. I'm just here for the donuts. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Like, is this guy done yet? The second type of learner is, where's the research? Where's the evidence-based data to back up what you're saying, right? So we don't think you pull this out of a place where the sun doesn't shine. Third type of learner is, give me three things that I need to do as a result of what you're sharing. And then the third type of learner is, look, I'm overwhelmed with a terabyte of information. I just need one thing to do. And so understanding that if I'm with him for an hour or two hours, I've got to think about that learner and deliver something to them. That's interesting. So because I feel like, you know, I come from a marketing background and a creator's background. I'm always looking at like an audience and I know all those different people exist in one audience. How do you deliver one succinct message that speaks to the donut guy, the you know, the woman who's overwhelmed and the person in the middle who's like, mm, OK, let's see what you got. <laughs> so everybody's wired to storytelling. So everybody's wired to once upon a time. So when I tell a story of, for instance, how I left Disney and why I left, all of a sudden they're connecting with me because now I have credibility. Um, they're like, wow, this guy's actually I should leave something. this company. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I've had some people fire themselves from their job. Right. <laughs> they, they come sometimes bring me in as the hatchet man. You know, we can't tell them to fire themselves, you know. <laughs> but 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 I really try to speak to them from real world experience. So storytelling, number one. Number two, I try to pick up the paper, the newspaper in that city to say, hey, this headline was in your paper today. And here are the implications for what it means to you. Right. And I think the third thing is to understand that we're now in a VUCA environment where there's volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. We're all, they're all dealing with that. They're dealing with change that they don't even see coming. So if you just hit me with an acronym I didn't see coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they're dealing with VUCA, you right. know, markets that are disappearing, things that are being disrupted. So now I've got to give them tips, tools, and techniques that they can use immediately in a nanosecond that right. will help them. And that's, uh, you know, it's it's funny. You, we talked about your T being part of your personal brand, but also someone, there's also a little bit of like, why should I listen to this guy, right? He doesn't know what I've faced at Microsoft or AT&T or, you know, how do you... How do you win an audience over quickly? Because I think you have to do it like in the beginning. It's like, I'm not supposed to be here, but here's why I am here. <laughs> totally, totally. I will totally make myself self-deprecating. I will say, here's how I made a mistake. Here's what I learned. And I build that bridge. So I don't come off sounding like I'm the guru or I, I know it all. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I need to be the guy that you say, you know what? I want to go and have a beverage with him afterward. Right. And so I do that in the first 30 seconds. And so I'll tell a story. I'll talk about, you know, when mom and dad dropped me off at college, you know, something that's relatable. And I build and, and what I try to do is move from communication to connection because it's all about connection. And I, and I think that's with any like business practice, you know, because um, I, I want to use that as a little bit of a transition because I think a, a, an anchor of your practice 
is, you know, what you coin shift to brilliance. Yes. Um, you know, and I think from an innovation standpoint, like you always want to like we're all striving for that golden nugget of ourselves, you know, reflected through an idea. Um, what tell us about your definition of shift to, toward brilliance. So shift to brilliance or shifting your brilliance is understanding there will come a time where you will have to let go of what is comfortable and convenient in order to embrace what wants to emerge. In other words, you have to vujade. If deja vu has been there, done that, vujade is going there, doing that, seeing it for the first time. If we look at shift, how I break it down, it's an acronym that simply could mean see how I fit tomorrow. So if tomorrow is created today, what is the new thinking that I am exposing myself to that will allow me to be relevant tomorrow? Because when you arrive into tomorrow, you call it today. But everything that you did yesterday meets you in the future and says, welcome, we've been waiting for you. So the shift happens when you totally disrupt yourself before you're disrupted. And uh, there's a there's a quote that I like, which is it's not that people don't like change, it's that they don't like transition, right? Yeah. And I think whether you're a brand trying to attract a consumer to your new whatever your new, your new product, and they're like, but I like the old one, but you'll like the new one better, right? But no, I still I still order the Gillette Sensor uh, razors, the two nice. blades from Amazon because I can't find them in the store because I'm like I don't want three blades. Um, but I think from a personal standpoint, especially when you're dealing with business people or whomever you know you're you're entertaining, I'll say. Um, what, like, how do you deal with that part of it? The, like the emotional resistance to, to shifting. Yeah. You know, there's a Yiddish proverb that says the only person that likes change is a wet baby. So, so the first thing I help people think about is change is your friend, not your foe. Change is a brilliant opportunity to grow. So change doesn't happen to you. It moves through you. How do you embrace the change? How do you language the change? One of the divisions I worked at Disney, we went through 18 reorgs in three years with three different executives. That's change on steroids, right? right. And nobody you know, was like, oh, it's happening. And what I recognize, you develop resilience. You develop the bounce back ability not to say, this is not happening to me personally. It's business. And how do I adjust every time? So the first thing I, I really try to get people to do, do is to see change as an opportunity to grow. That's great. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been reading the four agreements and it was um, one of the, I think the second one is don't think, don't take things personally. Oh, that's me. I didn't even turn off the phone in my own show. <laughs> it's all um, good. So, hey, guys, live live recording. <laughs> um, uh, no, just, you know, how does that um, come to, to life in, in your work? You know what? For me, I recognize that I quickly can be obsolete because of technology. So in my work, I'm constantly saying to our team, how do we begin to digitize what we do? If, if the research says within the next five years, 86% of business will be done digital, how do we begin to think like a digital brand? So recently, we connected and, and inked a deal with LinkedIn Learning, and which is old lynda.com. And when they first came to me a few years ago, I was like, no, what do you mean? You want my content? You own it into perpetuity. You have got to be kidding me. And I went back to my, my attorney and my board of advisory, who are both boomers, and they're like, no, 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 don't do it. And I'm like, guys, I've already been to Santa Barbara, and all I remember was 525-year-old young people running around this place. I don't know what they got going on, but I need to be in on it. 
best decision ever made because one of our courses, Building Business Relationships, has been viewed a half a million times by people in a hundred countries, right. people that I may never meet. So for me, change was letting go of what was comfortable and convenient to embrace something that I was afraid of, that my team said, no, 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 don't do it. Best decision we ever did. So I, I can see why uh, success picked you <laughs> uh, to be their MC because you do a lot of rhyming, uh, <laughs> which is which. Uh, all we need is a beat, Matt. You got beats in here? Is any any beats? Okay, all right. So uh, maybe in, in a few minutes, <laughs> I'm gonna stay in my lane. <laughs> You're like no, 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 no. Uh, but tell us a little bit about Success Live that's coming up in Long Beach and the, like the, and why you and why you're attracted to that sort of audience and that, you know, and this, that, that whole movement. September 8th and 9th in Long Beach, California, at the Long Beach Convention Center is going to be an amazing time where thought leaders like Shalene Johnson, Keith Ferrazzi, Scooter Braun, they're going to share their insights on what's made them successful. And I'm so deeply honored that the folks at Success Live would allow me to emcee it because these are people that I have watched, that I have read, that I think are just absolutely amazing. John Gray is going to be there. And to hear them live, but to also share the stage with them is, is a deep honor because 15 years ago when I struck out on my own, I didn't see this. I believed it would happen, but the folks at Success reached out to me and I said, absolutely, yes, would love to be a part of it. That's fantastic. And because uh, this is the second time that they've done, were you, did you attend the first one? I did. Um, what, what, how does, how do you evolve something like this, right? Because sometimes you get the feeling like, okay, I've been there. Like I went to one of these things. I'm good. And you, because you made a, a phrase earlier, uh, an inch wide, mile deep, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we only focus on the inch. I feel like we're, you know, we kind of live in a headline culture mm-hmm. and, you know, send me the cliff notes. I'm good. Uh, do I need to go to the second one? <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. But, but you also have to like re invent and evolve over time. Totally. I think what's going to distinguish uh, Long Beach from the first one that they did in Dallas is number one, they're going to create what I call white space where they invite people to say, you just heard this person. Let's connect the dots. What does this mean to your business, to your life? What's the application? The second thing that they're going to do is, uh, and I told them I'm really high on this, is you're sitting next to your elbow partner. And I want you to take a moment and share with your elbow partner, what did you hear? Because what you learn is this whole power of teach back. When you hear it once, you learn it twice. So connecting with that neighbor to say, what you heard? What'd you hear? What'd you take away? What are you going to do? And I think the third thing is everybody is going to walk out the door with an action plan. An action plan that 30, 60, 90 days, they can go back and review to say on September 8th and 9th, I heard this. What did I do? Did I implement it? And and create an accountability partnership with your elbow partner who's going to hold your feet to the fire. You're going to hold each other's feet to the fire to say, are we truly successful or did we just go to another event? How do we now operationalize what we heard into our daily lives? That's great. Yeah. It, 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 I, like I go to a lot of these things and it's it's. You're there in the moment and you get all amped up. Your heart's racing. You feel energetic. And then it's Tuesday again, <laughs> right? Then you like your boss sends you that email or that thing fell over and you're like, ah, how do you, having done this thousands of times, mm-hmm. how do you hold on to the, you know, those moments? So even if let's take out the accountability and the elbow partner, but, uh, you know, how do you encourage people to hold on to the emotional connection that they have when they do encounter some new and great information? Yeah. First thing I do is I teach a simple strategy called 15, 7, 30, 90. 
What I encourage people to do is carve out 15 minutes a day and chunk it down into three five-minute segments. The first five minutes, what did I learn when I went to the event? Second five minutes, how am I going to apply it? So you're meditating, you're writing, you're thinking. And then the third five minutes, what's the go do? When I was with Microsoft years ago, they brought me in and they said, Simon, here at Microsoft, we teach what's the go do. And that never left me. So that third five minutes is what's that one thing you intend to do? I'm not looking for the quantity of what you're going to do. I'm looking for the quality, right? right? So now 15 minutes a day creates seven days a week. Seven days a week creates 30 days. 30 days creates 90 days. So how you really anchor and sustain what you've just heard is live your life in quarters. How did I get to this point? Reverse engineer, what have I done the last 30, 60, 90? How did I get there seven days a week? How did I get there 15 minutes a day? So I wanna simplify it for people to say, how do you carve out in a 24 hour cycle, 15 minutes to get better and to have sustainable success? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I always uh, sort of smirk at the, uh, and I love I love this, the, you know, that whole construct. Um, I look at the number of times we're asked to do something for only 15 minutes a day, exercise, mm -hmm. meditate, study. And by the, by the time you actually do all the things you're supposed to do for 15 minutes a day, it's, you know, three hours <laughs> are gone. Um, can, can that be, and this is just, a, I'm pontificating now, but like, can that be shrunken down into one core? Like, basically, I want to become a better person and be better at my job and my family life, right? I, I, I would sum that up. Um, can that be summed up even, you know, from your perspective into one sort of cohesive thing? Yeah, absolutely. If people just take five minutes a day, we have five fingers, five minutes, just five minutes a day to say, what am I going to do to get better, to make a difference, to add value, to uh, improve my habits, to let go of something? Just five minutes a day. What you'll discover is the consistency of five minutes. Five will become 10, 10 will become 15, but it's in the consistency that the breakthrough comes. Right. Because if you stop, like for instance, I've been trying to lose weight. You know, I got like 20 pounds. I got this little tie around but my belly. But the shirt looks good. But see, when I drive by the In-N-Out Burger, you know, I hear it calling me, <laughs> right. Simon, come to me. Right, no, I've got to right. resist. The blinkers on, you're like, uh, oh, turn the blinker off. <laughs> yeah, so just five minutes a day. Right. Just five minutes. I think people can take five minutes on a sheet of paper and say, what's right about me? Yeah. Instead of what's wrong with me. I, I agree. I think it's it's celebrating those small wins. You know, I, I tell my, you know, teams that I work with a lot is, you know, don't focus on the big, you know, outcome, the thing that gets, you know, the headlines and all this stuff. Focus on the, the fact that the, that weird idea that we pitched, the, the client goes, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Right, that's an eye-opening moment. And we don't know what the domino effect of sure. that thing will be. And I think it's the same thing for your own personal development. It's like, hey, if you didn't go to In-N-Out Burger on Wednesday and you've been, you know, Saturday and, and, and Monday, uh -huh. good. Like, that. that is a, you know, that's those baby steps. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Man of the Year, Speaker Hall of Fame, uh, top 10 booked speakers in the world. Um, you've got a lot of trophies on, on your on your wall. Uh so what is, what is your definition of excellence? Excellence is doing the little things right consistently and doing them when no one is looking. When you're willing to do the work when no one is looking, then you will discover how to not only be a private success, but a public success. Uh, for many years, I was a public success, but a private failure. And what I recognize, if I was going to shift, I had to become better 
when no one was looking. What were you failing at? You know what? I failed at marriage, quite quite frankly. Um, I was so busy climbing a ladder of perceived corporate success, success only to discover that my ladder was against the wrong wall. I built a house but lost a home. And a part of what drove that is I was always on the road. And one day I came home and she said to me, you give everybody the rest of you. You give everybody the best of you, but you give us the rest of you. And I don't want the leftovers anymore. And when I recognized it was a rude awakening because here I was on stage and had all these accolades, whatever, what did I have at home? And so when I look now, it's been a very humbling experience because I have my children every other weekend. They're 15 and 18, but I recognize that how would I have done that better or done that differently? How would I have been more emotionally available right. instead of emotionally detached, you know, packing my bags for the next trip? You know, did it really matter at the end of the day? Did it though? Because I, I think that, I think a lot of, and I've spoken, you know, over the years to a lot of successful people where one of my favorite stories, and I did not interview this person, but the CEO of Pepsi spoke at the Aspen Ideas Festival a couple of years ago. And she told the story about how she was working late like she always does. And it was like 1030 at night and she got the phone calls like, by the way, you're going to be our new CEO. She was like, cool. Like went back to work, you know, and just hung up the phone, uh, got home. Uh, and I guess her mom was living with her and her husband. And she says, guess what? I'm going to be the CEO of Pepsi. And her mom says, that's good. We need milk. <laughs> and, you know, and her but her point was like you you, you, you kind of always miss something. Right. Mm -hmm. You either miss an opportunity or you miss a family moment or whatever that other thing is. You want to sing. You miss that studio. Time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I guess in, it's just philosophical. In hindsight, did, like, did you need it or or did you not? I think uh, the marriage naturally went the direction of divorce after 24 years. And so it taught me a lot of things that certainly as I look at my children that I want to be a better dad. So my number one goal now is for us to be great co-parents and for me to be a great dad because I think that's most important. And so I intentionally go above and beyond. I talk to them every night, no matter where I'm at in the world. I try to take them to school still when I'm in town and I have them other, every other weekend and we plan things together because I said, you know, I may have lost the marriage, but I'm not gonna lose my family. Right. And you take them to trips to California. Yeah, <laughs> LA, they didn't want to leave. You know, it's so awesome. Um, uh, and that's, I mean, this is kind of a good transitional point because I think when, you, when you're at the apex of something, right, teaching people shift and you have a lot of heartfelt stories, whether it's from your college years and the $5.10 or this kind of, like, it's a constant state of shift. What's totally. the next shift for you? We are totally disrupting our business. I uh, met with my team a couple of weeks ago and I said, in the next three years, we need to be a digital brand. If I never showed up on stage, how do we still connect with people? How do we think about virtual reality? How do we think about artificial intelligence? How do we become smarter at what we do? How do we begin to certify people, license our content? I've written nine books. How do we begin to think like a digital content distribution company, not just speaking? So literally gonna disrupt our brand and totally leverage technology and look for partnerships of people that love what we've done in the brilliant space and share that with the world. That's, that's amazing. Um, what, how do you, cause you're busy. 
how, how do you educate yourself on all those things? I mean, they all sound great, right? AI, artificial intelligence, VR, whatever other acronym you want to throw in there from a technology standpoint. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, not forgetting that there's an emotional connection that still needs to be made, even with the technology layered on top of it. But how do you educate yourself on, you know, what those next, because there's, there's a vast number of things you could do, sure. um, but you have to narrow that down and make really smart decisions, uh, you, you'd hope. Um, so how do you, how do you uh, continue to educate yourself? Three things. Number one, I try to surround myself with people that are smarter than me. So I have a team of millennials around me who are, they're like, hey, what about this? What about that? And they're constantly throwing things at me. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, okay, you know, you know, you know, and sometimes the Scooby Doo and me comes out. Oh, what's that? You know. The second thing I try to do is I have an app called Flipboard on my phone and on my iPad, and it allows me to look at a lot of different magazines and, and news articles from all over the world to kind of gather what's happening real time. So that kind of informs my my opinion. And then the third thing I try to do is I will just go and sit at the back of the room in different meetings, even though I'm there to speak at a conference. I'm forever a student. They may not have me speak until 4 p.m., but I'll show up at 8 a.m. to hear the CEO, to hear their marketing people, to say, here's where we're going. And I'll just sit there and like, okay, what's the implications for me? Like, how do I borrow that brilliance and apply it to what I do? So yeah. I'm constantly learning and asking questions. I'm curious about everything. So. Uh, no, I, you know, when I speak on innovation, I'll definitely, like, one of the key points I stress is curiosity, right? Um, you know, and it's hard... It's hard, especially when you're asking questions, it's hard to, for some people, to be genuine in asking questions, especially when you want something, right? You right. And I don't mean like I want something from you immediately, but you want it, you have a goal in mind and that goal sometimes take you, takes you out of the moment, yep. right? And you miss things. Um, how do you stay grounded? It, 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 maybe not you per se, but how do you advise somebody to stay grounded when they do encounter those you know, I call them mentor moments. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, like, I'll, uh, it, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. I have a story to tell, but I don't want to. <laughs> you got to tell a story. Oh. Come on, man, tell a story. No, it's, it's, it's just, just right there. You left us hanging. <laughs> tell a story. I'm not a storyteller like you. Um, I'm not the man of the year. Uh, no, I, no. So I wrote a foreword for a friend of mine's book that's coming out in November. And part of it was when we first met, I kind of reached out to her just to like, I wanted to get into the innovation sort of work, you know, arena. Um, and, you know, part of me was hoping that you go like, offer me a job because I'm really, I'm really good. At, I'm, I think I'm really good at this and I'm really smart and I have a good resume. Um, but it was, if, you know, if I was honest with myself, like it was veiled, it was a veiled like request to hire me, right? Like wow. it was very exploratory. And I asked, oh, you know, she's a good friend of mine to this day were like, again, and I, and I tell that story in the forward of the book. Um, but, you know, and, and, and the, the thing that I said in the writing was that, you know, sometimes the information is more important than an opportunity. Mm. Um, and so it's stuff that like just from that initial conversation in our elongated relationship that stuck with me, you know, over over the years. Sure, sure. So what I what I like to say. How did I do, by the way? You did great. You did great. You're fine. Right, You're cool. fine. Matt, you like this story? I like it. Okay, cool. <laughs> What's so interesting is when you give away the thing that you want the most, when you release the need to make something happen but you show up and serve the moment, good things come. Because it's the law of reciprocity, what goes around comes around. And I have learned more in these last 15 years when I serve to help the least, the last, and the lost. 
serendipity will take over and I'll bump into something that I was trying to make happen, things will start to show up. And I know that sounds like, you know, eerie theory kind of just sounds out there, right? But I really believe when I seek to serve with the right motive, uh, one of the things I'm teaching leaders and executives and creators right now, I said, we have heard for years that you gotta motivate people to do better. That's not true. I will go to my grave saying this. Your job as an executive, as a leader or a creator is never to motivate anybody to do anything. Your job is to invite people on a journey to discover themselves while they're following you. And if they pick up something, uh, if they if they catch something from how you show up, that becomes the lesson. That becomes the takeaway. That's great. Um, uh, what you say? The last, the least, and the lost. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, in my uh, my research team of one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Thanks like, to Google. I got, I got the essence um, that you're a man of faith. I am. Um, uh, how does that? Sh- I mean, you kind of touched on it just now, but a little bit more directly. How does that show up in your day to day work? And especially, like, I think. You know, I think some people who who are people of faith, you know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that because we are doing, you know, we're good people, quote unquote, that good things will happen and they don't. And then we're upset when they don't. And there's uh-huh. like this cool, uh, not cool, uh, 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 disconnect. Uh-huh. Um, but it, even if you're not a person of faith, you're like, I'm a good person. Good things will happen and shit happens. Right, and then right, all of a sudden right, you're like, right, uh, right. but I thought I was. But anyway, how does how does faith show up in your just day to day So for me, faith shows up in everything I do. It's the foundation of everything I do. But I also recognize it's also being honest when failure happens and things don't work out. And languaging and understanding what did I discover about myself that's going to allow me to become better. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is uh, ensuring that as a person of faith, I don't have to be spiritually spooky. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think there's some that are out there, you know, they kind of take this whole faith thing and and you don't see it really demonstrated 24-7. It's like it's the popular thing to do. And and I recognize I am not a person of faith if I can't tell my son that I love him, that I believe in him, or I need to correct him. And and we need to learn from that experience. So I think faith is is really a lifestyle. And uh, I recognize that my life might be the only Bible that people read. So people don't necessarily watch what I say, they watch what I do. How do I show up? So so for me to enforce that, oh my goodness, I, I, I divorced and I failed and it's okay. And I'm a person of faith. You know, some people think like, oh my goodness, I don't want people to know I divorced. You know, right. I've got it all together. Seriously, really? You still bleed red. Let that go, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, I said, like, talk to me, you know? Well, I think yeah. we get caught up in a, in a weird version of a God complex, right? You know, you you even said, uh, what'd you say? Hold on, here it is. Um, just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you are the mistake. Absolutely. Um, and that, you know, I, I think that happens to all of us, whether you botched a deal, whether that idea you had flops or a marriage, you know, did not work out. Um, it's like we beat ourselves up over these things. And like, that's part of the process because I think the next failure, you're like, okay, I was okay after the last one. It's a muscle, you know, totally. a failure is a muscle. I'm right totally. there. That's a good one. That is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give you credit for a couple of Exactly. You know, Chris <laughs> 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 just show my throw my face up on the stage. 
Um, no, and I think recognition is really important. Uh, you know, I, I find that every innovator's journey eventually leads to something that either happened to them or something that inspired them or, you know, and I think in your case, in high school, you were not the best student. Um, you did not make any sports teams, even though you wanted to. Uh, and then you kind of discovered speaking, right? And you talked about this earlier. You said, uh, I returned back to when I was 15. Yes. So talk about that first point of discovery and what you remember about that and yeah. then how it showed up again later. <laughs> well, so interesting. I went out for the football team, got cut, went out for the basketball team. They said, you are not the next Magic Johnson. <laughs> I went out for track and field. They said, my brother, you are a little slow. You need to run cross country. So my self-esteem was like, he ain't big. And my parents transferred me to Bennett High School. And it was at Bennett High School where I met my English teacher, Miss Rita Lankus. And she said to me, young man, I want you to write a speech and give it before the entire school. That sounds like your inner voice. <laughs> it's her. <laughs> it's I think her. we <laughs> She's your inner Miss voice. <laughs> and I went and did it. And I found my voice. I found my confidence. I found my it factor. I found that thing that made me come alive. And so literally when I was in Paris so many years later, I reconnected to that thing that had been lying dormant in me all along that I walked away from. And what I recognized, my father passed away a few years ago, and he told me that when I was three years of age, I used to go in the backyard, turn over the trash cans, sit on top of the trash cans and give a lecture to the grass, to the garden, and, and the wind was my applause, right? And he said when I was eight, I used to tell both him and my mom that I was going to write books. And I don't, I don't remember any of this. And when my father told me, it was like, whoa, I have been on this path for such a long time looking for that missing piece. And when I found it, it was like, clink, clink, that's it, you know? Right. It was like putting the key in the door and the tumblers, you know, literally lock it in to open the door. I found that thing and and I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, how, and I don't know if this comes up in your work, but do you teach people to search for or recognize that thing. It's like, you know, I, one of my things is like uh, Jay-Z once said he didn't think what he had was a gift because it came easy to him. Mm. You know, it's that thing you, like you were three years old, you know, doing The Alchemist. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Great book. <laughs> I think, yeah, was, I just, I, they just conjured up that last <laughs> chapter. It was like, oh, the wind. And the sun. Um, but, you know, but you tried to track. You tried to, you know, you went in the sales direction. You did all these things, but not recognizing perhaps. You had a good awakening at, at 34. Mm -hmm. But um, can that be taught to, like, find that entry point to your own magic? Totally, totally. I think everybody's on a journey of discovering their brilliance. And the first thing you have to do is you start with four questions. Question number one, where have I been? So look at your life, whatever age or stage you might be in. How did you get to this point? Second question is, why are you here? One of my mentors said to me a number of years ago, he said, the greatest tragedy in life is not death. The greatest tragedy in life is to be alive and not know why. So, so why are you here right now? Uh, Chris, when you think about it, you weren't born in the 18th century because you weren't needed. You exist now in the 21st century because Innovation Crush is needed in this century, right? And they wouldn't have let slaves record a podcast. <laughs> So. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then the third question is, what can I do? And I think that what can I do out of the, the four questions is the most important question because that invites you to realize that the best hand that would feed you at the end of the day in any, any economy is the one at the end of your wrist. And then the fourth question is, where am I going? 
So I was in uh, Harare, Zimbabwe a few years ago, and one of my mentors said to me, he said, do you have a 20-year strategic life plan? And I said, why do I need a 20-year strategic life plan? Because he said, in 20 years, you're going to be 20 years older, but will you be better? And I was like, whoa, that's kind of like retro. So when I, <laughs> when, when I invite people on the journey of discovering their brilliance, it's really to look through the lens of those four questions and say, where have I been? Why am I here? What can I do? And where am I going? And you answer those for yourself. That's great. Um, a couple more questions as we wind down. Uh, when I think about like serial entrepreneurs, CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who are in the business of leapfrogging their own brilliance, especially if they're at the top of their game, right? Mm-hmm. And I've asked a lot of people like, where, like, where do you go next? I even, you know, ask you, but you know, when you plateau, you know, what's that next step to, you know, unlocking a new level of brilliance? I think you've got to surround yourself with people who stretch you, who stretch your thinking. Put yourself into a small circle. I'm surrounded by men and women who are 20 to 30 years older than me, and I'm constantly asking them questions. What were you thinking when you were my age, when you had breakout results? What did you discover? What did you do differently? What would you pass on to me? That's the first thing. I think the second thing, it's also operating in what I would call intellectual humility. You don't have, you've achieved success, but how do we move from success to significance and really recognize you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. How do you begin to share your nuggets of wisdom with those that are around you, right? And I think the third thing, and this is something I've started doing with my two young adults, is we have started volunteering at Second Harvest Food Bank. And when they tell us the stories of people that are fed, families that would never eat Unless we boxed up these, I'm like blown away. It helps me keep my feet on the ground and constantly ask the question, how can I be a part of the solution to some of the problems in the world? Uh, you've been around the world. I've been around the world and I, 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 excuse me. Um, I'm a little horse. I see. I see. Uh, a pony. Uh, all right. So, um, no, you've been around the world. You've seen a lot of things. You've spoken to a lot of people. You've been in a lot of different circles. You talked about artificial intelligence and VR. Um, what is out there that you currently have an innovation crush on? You know, so I have really been... Uh, taken back with the whole, the um, halogens, the, 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 you know, where a person can be speaking, but it's not, they're not live there. Right, 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 right. And obviously they did this with Michael Jackson and, you know, projecting him onto the screen. I saw this for the first time when uh, Celine Dion uh, was performing in Vegas and there was this halogen that came. I was like, that is so cool. It was, <laughs> I was like sitting there like riveted by it. I was like, so what would that look like in my space? You know, how could I show up but not physically be in the room. I totally have a crush on that. I, I just don't know how to apply it yet to what I do, but I see the future. Oh, I got some ideas for you. <laughs> okay. um, there's actually a cool hologram like theater down the street. No from here. way. It's pretty crazy. Um, if you have time, you should go and okay. check it out. It's like a holiday. It's like, it, it, I forget what they call it. It's like regeneration. If you bring back people from the dead and there's like a whole library of holograms. Wow. Uh, Hollywood, California, guys. Oh. Um, uh, and then last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Hmm. Innovation to me is? Innovation to me is the insight of information and the intersection of revelation. So how do I take the insight and take the revelation and pull those two together to create the new new? Revelations, spoken by a man of faith. 
Um, thank you. And where can people find you? Where can people find more about the success event? Um, you know, I know that the T has to be included, but um, but yeah, where, where do we find you on the interwebs? Yeah, simontbailey.com. All my information is there. And then go to success.com backslash live or success live if they just Google it. All the information will come up and hope to see them September 8th and 9th. All right. Thank you. Uh, any any you want any Jerry Springer words you want to? Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, hey, everybody. Oh, no, you no, had no, something. You I, did I, have I, something. I just wanted to say thank you for the work that you're doing in the world, the difference that you're making. And I truly hope that this time next year, we will not only hear your podcast, but we will see your face all over the world and maybe go from 700,000 subscribers to maybe reaching 7 million on a daily basis. So congratulations to you in advance. I accept that. And thank you. Um, I will also be a hologram now. That's it. That's <laughs> Where's Chris? <laughs> He's everywhere. <laughs> Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.